Well, I would like to invite you now to turn in your copies of God's Word to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And while some of you may not be as familiar with this prophetic book as a whole as you are with other books in the Bible, I'm sure that most of you here are familiar with this chapter. It's my hope that this morning we will see from Isaiah 53 the beauty of the work of Christ in a far greater way. So lend your attention now to the reading of God's holy word from Isaiah chapter 53. I will be reading the chapter in its entirety. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because there was, because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong, he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing upon it this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we do come to you and we ask, Lord, that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, as we sit now under the the reading of your word, we ask that as our ears have received it, that you would bless our hearing as well. And Lord, as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this holy word, we ask that you would bless it, that the word would go forth and never return void. Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to receive this word that you have prepared for us, that we would receive it as the very word of God. And Lord, we ask that we would see Christ in his beauty here today. So Lord, I ask that uh, my lisping, stammering tongue would not be a hindrance to this word going forth, but Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. We lift these things up in Christ's name. Amen. I was in uh, Colorado Springs last week, uh, and, and before I went to the airport to fly back to Pittsburgh, I was able to make a quick trip up into the mountains, and as I was on this mountain overlooking Cheyenne Canyon, I was amazed at the magnitude of the mountain itself. When you're right up against, or if you're on top of a mountain, then that singular mountain's magnitude is seen very clearly. But once you come off of that mountain and then you drive back into the city, the entire front range of the Rocky Mountains comes into view. At that time, you can then see the beauty and the magnitude of every piece of that range. Every individual mountain is then combined into the glory of the entire range. I'm sure most of you uh, know already, but our passage this morning is part of a series of four different songs by the prophet Isaiah. They're known as the servant songs. The first song in Isaiah 42 speaks of the servant of the Lord establishing justice on the earth. It speaks of the servant of the Lord who would establish His kingdom of justice that would constitute not only the hope for Israel, but also the hope for the nations. In the second song in chapter 49, it shows the servant's mission to return Israel back unto the Lord. But the servant is too great, he's too glorious to merely serve as the Savior of Jacob, as the Savior of Israel. No, he will also be the light unto all nations. The third song in chapter 50 shows the servant of the Lord demonstrating his faithfulness. It highlights the servant's absolute reliance upon the Lord. Well, then we come to our text this morning. The fourth servant song, which displays the servant as the one who suffers 
on behalf of the people of God. Now, looking at each of these songs is kind of like looking at each individual mountain of that range. There's so much that can be admired and appreciated from each individual one, but they're simply part of the bigger whole. This fourth servant song serves as the culmination of them all, and it gives the most clear picture of the person and work of the servant of the Lord. And we all know who that servant is. It's Christ Jesus himself. And so this morning, I want to present to you the person and work of Christ Jesus, the servant of the Lord. And we'll consider Christ the servant by looking at four aspects of this servant in our text. The sorrowful servant. The sacrificed servant servant, the silent servant, and the satisfied servant. So let's first turn our attention to look at Christ as the sorrowful servant. And we see this in the first three verses of our passage. This is a clear picture of the humiliation of Christ that the second person of the Godhead took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We don't often think of Christ taking on human flesh as part of His sufferings, but we must remember that this is the Lord of glory who has given up the riches of heaven and has submitted Himself taking on human flesh to be part of this wicked and fallen world. And the way He came into the world and the way in which He presented Himself in it was nothing like the ideas which the Jews had formed of the Messiah in their own imaginations. In no way did Christ and His life and appearance meet their expectations concerning Him. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Instead of this Messiah being born in a palace and wrapped in majestic linen and laid in a king's cradle, Christ Jesus came as a babe, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And nothing about Him according to His appearance proclaimed that He was the Messiah. He didn't have the stature and the build of a mighty warrior who would come to free Israel from the oppressive regime that was the Roman army. He didn't have the good looks that is so often associated with charismatic leaders who are able to amass a a large following, something that would have been needed in order to organize an uprising against this occupying force. No, there was nothing special about him as far as the eye could tell. To all who looked on Jesus, he was simply an ordinary man claiming an extraordinary position. And because of this, the people hated him. 
John 1 and verses 10 and 11 tells us, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. This rejection by His own people, the very ones to whom He was sent, added sorrow and pain to His lot. The Jews would have expected that He should have lived a pleasant life, a life of ease, and have full enjoyment of the delights of the peoples everywhere, which would have invited all sorts of people to come unto Him. But instead, He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It was not simply the last part of His life that was such a tragedy, but His whole life was one of tragedy. It was one of misery as it was one of as it was one continued chain of labor, sorrow and consuming pain as Matthew Henry puts it. As Christ made himself known to the world as he revealed himself unto mankind the people hid themselves from him. They turned their backs on him. They despised him. They rejected Him. He wasn't revered as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but instead as a madman, as a traitor, and as a blasphemer. I was informed the other day that the Jews don't even read this servant's song in their reading of the Tanakh. They refer to it as the... uh, what is it? The forbidden chapter. They don't even read this. They skip over it because they, they refer to it as the forbidden chapter. And that's because his own people, even to this day, still reject him with just as much vehemence as the ones who killed him to begin with. They can't stand to be confronted with Christ in this servant song. They continue to turn their faces away. Friends, this is our Lord of glory. And He has presented to you today. He's made His face known to you this morning. And I bid you, please, do not do as His own people have done by rejecting Him. But instead, receive Him. Esteem Him. Believe Him. And this great sorrow of the servant leads to an even greater misery as the rejection of his people come to a culmination. And here we now turn our attention to Christ as the sacrificed servant. And this is main plain in our text in verses 4 through 6. The servant didn't simply have his own sorrows, but he bore ours as well. Grief was his intimate acquaintance, for he acquainted himself with the grievances of others. And he sympathized with them. He never set his own at a distance. 
Christ Jesus took on the weight of sin and shame that we could never bear in our own right. And because of this, the Lord struck and smote him. God the Father poured out the very cup of wrath that was reserved for you. And he poured it out upon his own son. Who was bearing our griefs and sorrows. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. His suffering was terrible. Not only had his own countrymen turned their backs on him, but the Father himself has turned his face away from Christ. And Christ Jesus, while hanging on the cross after being mercilessly beaten and whipped, cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the greatest suffering that anyone has ever experienced. He was pierced, he was wounded, he was crushed, he was bruised, he was stricken and smitten. And why? Why did Christ go through all of this? Why did He voluntarily lay down His life, sacrificing Himself? Well, the answer is in that last part of verse 5. And by His stripes, we are healed. That is the reason Christ suffered and died. It was for our salvation. It was so that we could be healed. His sorrows bruised him. He felt pain from them. They touched him to the uh, most tender part of his being, especially as God forsook him on the cross. All along, he was smitten with the tongue when he was mocked and contradicted. When he was made to be the worst of all peoples and had all manners of evil said against him, he was smitten with the hand with blow after blow. And at last, they pierced his hands and his feet, nailing him to a Roman cross, wherefrom his blood flowed forth as a fountain of living water, bringing life to all who touch it. Brothers and sisters, He bore your sin upon His shoulders. It was your sin that held Him to the cross. It was your sin that crushed Him in His last hour. The Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. This is the death that you should have died. This is the punishment that you should have received. This is the debt that you should have paid, but instead Christ did it all. What a glorious gospel this is that we hold fast to. That the second person of the Godhead bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. And He... And he became that sacrificed servant paying the penalty for our sins so that by his blood, by his stripes, we could be healed. What a glorious gospel that is. 
And he did it willingly. No one forced him to become the sacrifice servant, but he did it of his own volition. In John chapter 10 and verses 17 and 18, we hear the words of Christ, the servant, make this very point. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. This command I've received from my father. And so this great truth that Christ willingly laid down his life for his people leads us now to see Christ as the silent servant. And this is made evident in verses seven through nine. Why does Isaiah go through such great lengths to show that the servant was silent. In Hebrew literature, in the, in the construct of phrases, the repetition of a word or a phrase signifies its importance. That's why Isaiah states numerous times that the servant was either silent or he opened not his mouth. He's highlighting something important there. This is important because this, the fact that Christ opened not his mouth, testifies to the fact that he was the one who laid down his own life and no one took it from him. Remember, this is the Lord of all creation. This is the one by whom all things were created. This is the one who by the very word of his voice commanded the wind and the waves to cease from roaring. With the simple utterance of his mouth, he could have ended it all. He could have ended the proceedings against him. He could have declared his innocence with the very voice of his lips. He could have struck down his oppressors, but he didn't. He willingly went as a lamb to the slaughter. The perfect Passover lamb who went without spot or blemish went as a sheep before the shearers knowing knowing that he was going to be butchered. And yet he remained silent. He opened not his mouth. The Lord tried him iniquity, uh, according to the iniquity of his people that was laid upon him, according to the transgressions of his people, which he bore in himself and God found him guilty. And so God meted out the punishment that was due the crime. Matthew Henry remarks, by his wisdom, he could have evaded the sentence. By his power, have resisted the execution. But thus it was written, and thus it behooved him to suffer. This commandment he received from his father, and therefore he was led as a lamb to the slaughter without any difficulty or reluctance. He was the lamb of God. 
and as a sheep is dumb before his shearers, nay, before the butchers, so he opened not his mouth, which denotes not only his exemplary patience under affliction and his meekness under a reproach, but his cheerful compliance with the Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. It was his obedience to the Father's will that brought him to utter with his last gasping breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then they took him down from the cross. They took his body down from the cross after having pierced his side to confirm his death. And Joseph of Arimathea took the body of our Lord and prepared it and placed it in his family grave. And there it laid the sorrowful, sacrificed servant, now utterly silent. But that's not where he stayed. He didn't stay in the grave for long because after three days he rose again from the dead victorious. Yes, he suffered. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But he did not stay in the grave. No, he rose conquering death, hell, and the grave. And so now this servant stands not as the sorrowful servant, not as the sacrifice servant, not as the silent servant, but this servant stands now as Christ Jesus, the satisfied servant. And we see this in our final three verses of this chapter. It pleased the Lord to crush his son. It pleased the Lord to mete out this punishment on His Son for the iniquities of His people. And the reward that was given unto Christ on that day was the reward of victory over sin and death. He rose victorious. And so now He shall see the labor of His soul and be satisfied. The work for which He came, the work that He did in the life that He lived, the work that He did in perfectly obeying the law of the Lord, the work that He accomplished in sacrificing Himself on the cross, the work that He did in spilling His blood for the remission of sins, that work He shall see the fruit of it. So what is the labor of his soul that he will see. What is this fruit of his work? It's the coming of his people unto him. Christ Jesus perfectly paid the penalty for sin. And through his death, he perfectly purchased salvation for his people. And not everyone for whom Christ uh, and 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 everyone for whom Christ died will come to him. It's guaranteed. His work was not in vain. Not one drop of blood was spilled in vain. 
No, his people will come to him. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. The joy of Christ is in seeing souls come to him. The joy of Christ is in knowing that he is justifying many. Because he bore our iniquities. Because he paid the price that we couldn't pay. Because he died the death that we should have died. He has justified the many. He has justified his people by the shedding of his blood. And that satisfies this servant. And then part of this reward is not only seeing souls come unto him, but having all things given to him. He is made heir of all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto him. Yes, Christ Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. Yes, he is God himself, and so he has all things as God. But the God-man, as the only mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus, has been given the riches of all creation. The very creation that by Him was created is now handed to Him as His possession. And so He rules and reigns over all things. He rules with an iron scepter in His hand. He crushes the enemies under His feet. And He has all things as His footstool. And so here we see Christ Jesus, the victorious Lamb of God, ruling and reigning forever. And the call upon you today is to recognize that. You must see Him not only as Savior of mankind, but Lord of all creation. All of creation, all people, all nations, they're all called to bow down before Him. All peoples in all nations and in all places are called to come before the Son and to kiss Him lest they perish. In the way. This is the gospel. Christ risen victorious, that satisfied servant, is the culmination of the gospel. Without this, nothing else matters. He could have been sorrowful, he could have been sacrificed, he could have been silent. But if He is not risen and satisfied with the work of His soul, then none of that matters. If He is not risen and satisfied, then He died in vain. But that's not the God that we worship. That is not the Christ that we see here in our text. We have a risen Savior and He lives forever brothers and sisters this is the gospel how beautiful is that how beautiful is it that we have a risen savior who dwells 
among us and continues to make intercession for us before the Father for the transgressions of the many. He is our high priest. He is the sacrificed Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but He is also actively interceding as our high priest who advocates for us before the Father. He is our sympathetic high priest because He has experienced the suffering of this world. He has experienced the trials that we face. He has been tempted with the same temptations as you. And so He sympathizes with us in every way. What a glorious Gospel this is. That our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior did not stay in the grave, but He rose victorious. And He rules and reigns as mediator over all things and serves as intercessor before the Father. And He pleads our case on behalf of us before Him. It is through the work. It's through the actions of Christ the servant that we are saved. And so friends, remember this great salvation that you have in Christ. Remember what He went through. How He was sorrowful. How He was sacrificed. How He was silent. And He did it all for you. Remember how His own rejected Him. Remember how He was beaten and scorned and mocked. Remember how they placed a crown of thorns upon His head and a robe upon His his shoulders and they blasphemously mocked Him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And He did that for you. Remember how He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. How the nails were driven into His hands and His feet. And as He bled on the cross, that blood flowing forth washed away your sins and made you white as snow. And remember, remember that Christ Jesus is risen victorious. And that He is the ruler and Savior of all creation. And He lives to make intercession forever on our behalf before the Father. We have a living Savior. So, brothers and sisters, let us gaze upon Christ Jesus. Wonder at the person and work of our Savior and see Him as that great servant of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to You and we do thank You. And we praise You. And we glorify Your holy name because You did send Your Son to die on our behalf. Lord, we confess our sins to You knowing that You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Father, we ask that Your Son's blood would cover our sins and make us white as snow. Lord, let this truth of the person and work of Christ be implanted into our hearts so that we never forget who He is and what He has done for us. And let us leave this place. Let us walk out those doors with a renewed appreciation and a greater love for Christ Jesus. So thank you for our risen Savior, for the Spirit's work in applying His redemption to our lives. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in His name. Amen.